five, four, three, one, off blast. Yay! Hi. Greeting fellow followers. Yes. Uh, This is your boy, Ferris Billing and Wanda. Um, Once again, hosting you guys with another wonderful Nevicast. Kind of like bringing it down the line. Um, Starting off to my immediate left, we have our uh, new initiate, our new new peep, our new member. That is me. It is D and J. Hi, DJ. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, you know y'all know me. Uh, of course, right next to like, well, petting our wonderful like uh, super doge. Yes. Is our delivery man Adon. Hey, what up? And of course, next to him is our master of board games, Rum. What's up? And then finally, last but not least, uh, the master of the Edo period, the Lord of Darkness, the keeper of all <laughs> things that is samurai and holy paladins. And the saltiest of saltiest. Right <laughs> <laughs> Diva Lord Hans, everybody. Hello, my loyal followers. You actually, like on last week's Navy Cash, you actually got a positive comment. Yeah, really? Somebody was just like, man, Demon Lord's like my favorite character. Yep. That was a guy I work with. <laughs> so it's kind of cheating. <laughs> yeah, why'd you have to spoil it like that? <laughs> because I work to knock myself down. Ah, <laughs> oh, so, see, that's where the saltiness the comes salty. from. The salty. <laughs> so yeah, let's jump right into things. Good thing um, we're not slugs, because we'd be dead from all that salt. <laughs> you may call me the hey, iodizer. Uh, <laughs> it was actually, you know, like that. There's actually a funny bit about that because in Japan there was like this one news article I read about this super kawaii slug that looks like a bunny. It has like a freaking huge one too. <laughs> And it's just like, oh, isn't it so cute? Oh, isn't that not going to look so great when you pour kosher salt all over it? <laughs> Is it kosher if it's used for killing? I don't think so. Well, the salt no itself kosher. is kosher. Yeah, the salt itself is kosher. It it's remains it's pure, but the intent is no longer pure? Exactly. Pretty okay. Much. We can move on. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, yeah, like... Um, and our, our fearless Billy Nwanda over here uh, multitasking... Yes, I am multitasking <laughs> today. So, what I'm going to kind of talk about a little, to open up with things a tiny bit is um, I've actually been playing Splatoon 2 for the last few days, ever since it came out. I'm actually kind of playing it right now. Um, <laughs> not really like doing anything super important, just kind of wandering around the city square. Um, Splatoon 2 is not necessarily like reinventing the wheel of uh, from the first game. It's more of a refined version of it. Um, you know, all your favorite weapons, splat modes, turf wars, all that stuff is still there. The um, main difference is just that, you know, it's now, you can take it everywhere since it's on Switch. Uh, right now they're doing a splat fest this weekend, which is um, kind of like their version of like you vote via like choosing a team and then like the more wins you rack up the more that your team can win on a nice little jazz. And in this case, uh, it is mayo versus ketchup. Yes. Of which I am completely not a fan of both. <laughs> but I hate mayo even more, so I chose ketchup just because. Yay. Ketchup's good on burgers. Better dead than red, yo. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like it's... Mayo all the way. But, you know, like, the one new addition they did make to Splatoon 2 uh, is they added what's called the Salmon Run, which is basically, like, their version of a horde mode. Uh, and it also contains the, the ability to get some of the best gear in the game. Other than, you know, of course, you know, trying to buy it off of uh, random NPCs that you see uh, in your square. So, yeah, like, it's uh, really, really nice. Um, single player mode returns. Which is always pretty good. Uh, it's like it's structured a little bit differently than like the uh, multiplayer battles. Uh, relies much more on platforming. It takes a lot of cues from Super Mario Galaxy if you play that. So, yeah, like um, I'll probably have a more detailed like write up in the coming times because like you know I do take my time playing through video games a lot. But right now my initial recommendation is that if you got a Switch, this is definitely a game you need to own. So, that's my main thoughts on that. That's all I got to say about that. 
Oh, I gotta say, one thing that seems really cool is that um, apparently when when it switched from the Wii U to the Switch, they got rid of the the uh, what, what's it called? Meverse. Yeah, the Meverse stuff. Yeah, it's, it's in Splatoon too. Yep, that is one of the things that they did were nice enough to carry over. Um, because like with Nintendo, they're very notorious about not about wanting to keep everything family friendly, keep everything safe and sanitized. So they got rid of swap mode, and instead of you know doing built-in voice chat, they're forcing forcing all voice chat to be through a smartphone app. Yeah. And because the whole thing is for them, it's just about it's about a control as always. Um, they don't like seeing dick pics up on the internet <laughs> or up on Meverse, you know, drawn through like you know the the, the deals. So yeah. It's one of those that it's one of those very few unfortunate <laughs> deals, but at the end of the day, like if you're like a smart gamer, you're just going to be chatting on Discord anyway. So, but yeah, at least the nice thing is is that they did allow one of the forms of uh, Meverse functionality, which is the picture drawing, to come back. And it's really kind of interesting because for a lot because there's no real stylus ability with the Switch's touchscreen, uh, so a lot of these people are doing these drawings. By controller hand. Mm. And that is a lot harder to pull off. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with Destructoid, but uh, <laughs> when uh, the Wii U first came out, they were heavily involved with the Miiverse stuff. Not anything good, but they were doing um, Willem Dafoe stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and they just called it the Dafoeverse. And yeah. uh, Jim Sterling would just troll the, pretty much, I think it was the, the, the Raving Rabbits board. Yeah. <laughs> he just put up thousands of pictures of William or Willem Dafoe just being Willem Dafoe. Pretty what about much. Willem Dafriend? <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to meet that guy. Everybody <laughs> wants more to... followers. <laughs> or then there's also Willem the Ryuk. Mm. Hey, uh, when does that come out, by the way? I believe August. in August. Yeah. Hmm. What? August 20-something. The Netflix's Death Note movie. Oh. I thought it was already out. No. Well, well, there's the Japanese version, but the, the Netflix uh, version is going to be out here imminently. With William Defoe as Ryuk. Willem. Willem. <laughs> That's actually the only part of casting I don't mind in that movie. Yeah, I mean, like, I appreciate what they're going for, at least. Well, I'd like the, I'd like the guy to cast to play ill, because he's been in a bunch of shit I like. He was in um, Get Out, and he's in Atlanta, and a bunch of stuff. But, eh. Yeah, he's not very elish to me. He's just weird. But I guess they yeah. Well, they needed kind of like they needed somebody that was off center. I mean, like and he does do that part very well. Yeah, I mean he fits the role of this quirky weird guy. So like, I guess he's not bad. We'll see. Yeah. So yeah, I mean like other than that, it's kind of been kind of almost a slow uh, gaming week if you really think about it. I mean. Well, it is still the summer. It is still the summer. There was one really big incident with um, going on with the game Player uh, Player Battleground. Is that what it's called? No, it's uh, Player Unknown. Player Unknown Battleground. Player Unknown Battleground. Really, really popular game on Steam right now. Uh, the only problem is that uh, like they have like their developers are like really being big about uh, taking care of the community. Yep. Which no team kills. No team kills. Um, and there's actually a couple of really big uh, bannings that took place recently because of that. Yeah. Uh, like the most infamous one happened this week. Uh, there was a player who was actually banned for uh, stream sniping. Yes. So basically, they followed them on. Uh, they found they found their stream on Twitch and then uh, was finding out where they were at so they could run over and kill them. Yep. Which it's the information age version of screen looking, the yeah. dick move from some of our youths. Yep. Pretty much, pretty much. Which is not surprising, but yeah, it's just dickish. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and then of course there was another player who got banned for a day because he couldn't fit enough players in his deal, so he just killed one of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, in the car. Yeah, I heard about that guy. Guy uh, couldn't fit everybody in the car, so he just killed one. 
like probably got banned. Uh, <laughs> he got banned for like a day, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, it's like from uh, that movie, The Transporter. Just from I did hear another one where a guy like... got banned for team killing a team killer. <laughs> so he he killed a guy that killed another guy on his same team. So. So I'm the dude that's killing another time. dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm the dude killing dude who killed another dude. <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> so, and uh, this is kind of small gaming news, but have you seen the Monster Hunter we- uh, Monster Hunter World weapon trailers? I actually have. Like, I'm really interested. Like, because it's very obvious they have like they have implemented a whole ton of stuff from. Uh, generations mm-hmm. but it looks like they have included some of the different styles into a lot of the weapons now to a degree yeah they've kind of streamlined them and they don't have one that you play as and the others that you ignore it's just here's the weapon here's the greatest hits of it go wreck some shit yeah like the new insect glaive <laughs> holy sense. crap man because like you know with insect glaive if you guys just play more Huh? Just swim on? Yeah. Like, the new insect glaive, like, the old insect glaive was pretty much like, okay, I can just, you know, let me, like, blow my stick down and, like, go up to the air and get them out. Now it's pretty much like, here, I'm going to put myself in the air and then I'm just going to six spin my way constantly mm. around you. If you know the button command, you can actually do a cutback drop turn. I was going to say that, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> I introduced the joke to the group, so I get to make it. When you introduce jokes to the group, you can make them at will. <laughs> but yeah, like, um, and like, also like the new, uh, like, they got some pretty cool stuff with the longsword, too. Um, like... That one aerial, like that upwards aerial slash, like I don't like I don't play longsword at all compared to you. Mm-hmm. But has that been like a regular move as well? Not really. Yeah, that seems to be completely new. And they do have a lot of the aerial stuff, and it they don't quite have the dragon's dogma jump onto it and grab on it. Because what I want to see is a move where a greatsword user can angle their weapon up to be a platform for somebody else. Instead of just upswinging people. Yeah, just upswinging it. Yeah, like that would be really interesting to see how that works. Because, yeah, uh, you could also do that with the fighter class in Dragon's Dogma. You could use your shield as a spring. Yeah. And a lot of the fighter classes were basically like, get get your opponent into position. Like, say you've got a rogue, and you've got a warrior who uses the two handed great weapons. You could launch the rogue since the rogue is adept at you know hanging on to things and doing a lot of hits in a short time and it worked really well and i still cannot wait for the re-release of dragon's dogma dark arisen on ps4 personally i would like to see the full-blown sequel but that was jp onry so fuck you capcom (laughs) pretty much more of that salt for you but the viewer and speaking of Monster in the World, another interesting note is they finally revealed why, why Prowlers are actually not in the game. Because it was a broken idea that's kind of stupid? No, not as much that. It's the fact that there was a uh, animal company in Japan that complained. Really? Yeah. Oh, this fake animal is getting hurt, so... What, does it look like a cat or something? Yeah, like in Monster Hunter, uh, there's always been like the Palicos and the uh, Melanies. Yeah. Um, which are like these, like, it's basically like cats that stand upright. Yeah. And, and can speak human and, languages. Yeah. And, like, and, their traditional role in Monster Hunter has always been, like, especially when you play single player, they help act as a distraction, can also heal, depending on what cats you take with you. Gotcha. In Monster Hunter Generations, they added a special version of that cat that you could actually play called the Prowler. And um, they had access to their own weapons, their own or like the armor skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could do different styles. Um, so, in like in generations, they were extraordinarily broken as a result because if you had a certain like armor set and a certain weapon that you got from the Silver One Nagakuga, mm-hmm. you were pretty much unstoppable. Like I was doing this one. Uh, I was in an online lobby once and. It was the requirement was like it was for the Zelda gear where you had to take down like a Brachiodos, a uh, Glavinus, and a Malfestio, if I remember correctly. 
Yeah. And I went into the room. I was the sole hunter hunter. Everybody else was cats. I barely Probably. got... I got maybe two or three blows in. Because all it would be was the cats would just be like, wham, 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 boomeranging across. And put it to sleep, run up, put a bunch of bombs up, bam, wham, 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 put it to sleep, put more bombs up, and it was just like wash, rinse, and repeat the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know? And it was just like, like, I was just sitting there just like, well, should I just like do the sitting down motion instead? Because that's kind of what I feel like I should do at this point. You should have danced. I should have just been dancing like, uh, 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 you know that kind of stuff. Because normally palicos and uh, prowlers are the cheerleaders. No, no, no. You're their cheerleader. Yeah, I was there because they have broken the game. No, you got to do the Carlton when you do that. Yeah. Not unusual. <laughs> but yeah, like I mean, prowlers <laughs> were kind of a broken game type, and but you know initially you know so when when they when World was announced and they announced that prowlers weren't coming back, we were thinking it was just because okay. It's a proper new gen, so they don't want to do anything too broken, kind of like how most of Generations was. Mm-hmm. But it turns out, no, it's because somebody in Glorious Nihon bitched about it. So, But seriously, the entire fucking game is about being a hunter who is there to wreck the ecosystem for greater mankind. Yeah. And they have a problem with the cats that get mildly inconvenienced after being breathed fire on? Yeah. As long as that cat is not doing any, like, you know, <laughs> striking down themselves. Or jumping on bellies. Or jumping on bellies, like this one is kind of wanting to do right <laughs> now. This, this is my personal prowler prowler right here. <laughs> so I'm just going to perch here and take you a good palico. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's a melon. He's a melon. You should probably set some better skills on him. Yeah. <laughs> he, he wouldn't even qualify for the Poogie P, like, strongest cat skill. No. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, right. we've got... Like, this, it, this joke's going on, on yeah, it, It's going on a <laughs> so... You know, like... So, like... Um, hey, I made my punchline. You guys started beating the dead horse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did it that. We did it that. So, like, uh, for for this week's, like, kind of long-form gaming discussion, I kind of wanted to, like, our delivery man has brought up, like, a really good concept. Uh, why don't you share it with us, good sir? Well, I think that reading a book and playing a video game offers the same results. It's the same thing to me. Not at all. Okay. Not at all. Please do explain. Well, one, you're actually interacting with it. The mm-hmm. other one, you just have to imagine what the writer put on the page. There's okay. no interaction at all. I mean, there are those uh, choose your own adventure books, but that's eh, that's that's a stretch. And it's still pre-written, right? Yeah. Said, so. Well, the thing is, with most game narratives, they are kind of stuck in that. But the way you experience them to me is completely different. Mm-hmm. You've got your perceptions versus what the author put on the page, whereas with the video game. It's kind of hard to misinterpret a lot of that. There's also word choice that you have to factor into it. Whereas there's no, you know, maybe there's some stylistic and visual cues that you might have to interpret. But for the most part, I would say that reading would be like eating a meal. Whereas most video games, as far as the way you experience the narrative, or even more so in the ways you craft your own narrative with the emergent narrative of uh, sandbox games is well in story games it's like being spoon fed Mm -hmm. in emergent narrative games it's kind of like just grabbing whatever the fuck you have in the pantry and shoving it down your gullet and hope it doesn't make you yak i don't know i'll I'll play devil's advocate so this is my main deal Mm -hmm. um like when it comes to like novel like a lot of novels like are constructed is that you kind of have, like, I think a good comparison is I'll start with Nintendo games. A lot of Nintendo games are actually very much gameplay-based. There's not really a whole ton of narrative chunks out of it. A lot of what is going on in the in the game is left up to the player. Um, and I think another really, and a really good comparison to that when you're talking about novelizations is you can use it compared to classical literature. 
a lot of classical literature is dealt is very much minimalism design in mind. You know, with the exception of a few novels like you know War and Tolkien. Peace, Falcon, Tolkien, Tolkien. Well, no, 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 like, I'm saying like we're going even oh, older okay. than Tolkien. Um, I'm coming to Tolkien though in a minute. Okay. But I would say like I'm saying like stuff like James Joyce, uh, Scarlet Letter, Nigel Hawthorne. Charles Dickens. Charles Dickens. Really lean stuff that leaves a lot to the imagination. You're given the very basic tools to be able to guide through it. But, you know, like, a lot of it's left up to you. The only difference I see between, like, in this case, you know, like, the larger point I'm making is that the main difference between novels and between games is that the games, you are pressing inputs into it. But you can make, uh, you're still being guided along a narrative, even if it's a lean narrative. Or, you know, you go into the modern era. You go into, like, a lot of our, you know, AAA developed games today. Um, you can make those direct comparisons between those AAA games and stuff like Tolkien. And, you know, George R.R. R. Martin. Epic fantasies. You even have stuff where you can, like, your popcorn books, like The Da Vinci Code. Um, a lot of it is, the main difference is that... Again, with video games, you're you're controlling the input of it, but you're still being guided along a story. But by that thinking of reductivism, everything is the same, so there's no point in doing anything. Not necessarily. Uh, you can play a game because you want you like the narrative. The same way you pick up a book because you like the narrative. You like the subject. But so many more people pick up the video games regardless of the narrative because it is easier to just be spoon-fed this visual information. You can be spoon-fed with a book as well. The book can say what you already want to believe. The same way you're playing a game that you already want to... You want to be like the hero. The same way you want to pick up a book... Yeah, it's kind of like when you um, digest, uh, like, you know, like Harry Potter is, like, another really good example I like to bring up, is that even though, like, you are, like, for one, you are being spoon-fed a narrative, but you can also take a lot of the stuff that's in between the lines and interpret it in your own fashion. How do you explain uh, climbing mountains in Skyrim, then? Because <laughs> you can't really do that. They didn't make it where you could do that. But people still do it. <laughs> Fan fiction. <laughs> no, where they just but like you run up the trash. you run up the mountainside, whatever. But you're not supposed to do it. There's paths to. That's take. been in everything since EverQuest. <laughs> and another thing, a lot of uh, no novels do besides the second person, which is hard as hell to write in. So don't bother. Uh, choose your own adventure. Is a lot of video games well give you that sense of entitlement you that sense of empowerment books really don't do that yeah. like harry potter is a distinct character from the reader you're almost vicariously and voyeuristically experiencing this thrill of harry coming into the world and making his mark but you know in a video game ideally they would have you create your character for this wizarding world and they would raise you up to be the chosen one. You to be the boy or girl who lived. Yep, the same way Assassin's Creed does that. You're the assassin. You're the hero. Yeah, but, but you, don't, you of... don't have to do everything in the same order either, though. It's open world. You can do anything in any order. There's With a, a book, you can only go from beginning to end. There's a final mission, though. Yes, there's there is. There's a final story. The same way there's a final story to but the But you don't have to do it in the same order... But, but you're eventually going to end up with the same point. The end is which the same. I do see it in Actually, point. Nonetheless, uh, the point I made in, where in, you being raised up to the main character is vastly different from you vicariously experiencing another character's journey most of the time in books. And in, in order, like, bring it back to the Assassin's Creed, uh, you don't really uh, if you if you don't do everything in the game though, you won't get the same ending as everybody else. It changes, uh, depending on all the stuff that you do. But there uh, is to a get a hundred percent synchronization, you have to do everything in the game to get the whole story. But there is a true but, ending now that yeah. you unlock. So, I mean, but you have to unlock it. You don't have to unlock it though. Exactly. 
But, like, if you, like, are wanting to experience everything the way it should be, you will go through and, un and unlock it. But you don't have to. And this conversation does bring up a really good uh, thing that I'd like to run by everybody. There are just some things that you feel viscerally that you find it impossible to put into words. Like, when Adan brought up this topic, it my initial reaction was, I personally experience video games incredibly differently than I do from reading. Yep. And it is difficult for me to put into words. It is mm -hmm. something that internally <clears throat> happens, and I probably should spend time trying to articulate it, but at this moment, I can't exactly. So, what are things that you just have that ambivalence for that you find it difficult to articulate? This question right here. <laughs> We got one answer. How about you, Dan? <laughs> so, um, with with video games, mm -hmm. um, the the way I see it is that, and the reason why I see it as being something very similar, if not the same, is that with a video game, it doesn't matter like if there are different endings. There are endings, limited endings, in the same way. There's an end to a book. But there is only one ending to a book. Exactly. And the uh, same... I can actually counter that. Dark Tower Book 7. Really? The Dark Tower Book 7 has two endings to it. There is the technical ending of the book, and then there's what Stephen King calls the true ending, which he tells you flat out, you if you want the, everything to stay happy, don't read this. Wait, what? But Th that's not the real that's, I mean so what was published wasn't the real ending is what you're saying no like it was published but he has two endings to his novel to a series but it was never published it was published it's in book seven that's why he says well a lot of the times you end up having to rewrite things and yeah I can see where it would go with that but Okay, so you have... There is an exception to every rule. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like I said, you know, like, um, a lot of times when it comes to, like, as somebody who reads a whole shit ton, as well as, you know, has played a whole shit ton of video games, like, I can make that, you know, like, to me, I, ha I can make that connection of, like, to me, the thing that separates the book from a video game is that, is the fact that, you know, you're inputting and moving the character around yeah one's passive one is uh active yeah that's debatable as well because when you're no. reading a book uh when a book really makes an impression on you that stops being passive it's not passive anymore because that no changed. you're observing you're not actually putting doing any input at all if you learn from the book and that makes your life better, then that's There's no input. Passive. It's not passive anymore. That's my point. But that's kind of sidereal to the entertainment experience. That's right. The I think what Jason is going for is the input is integral to the entertainment experience, whereas with your example, it's peripheral. I'm just guessing. And we have gone far too deep for a Nebicast, so hurry, Billy, make a fart joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, well, for the, actually, what I'm actually going to do is, uh, we haven't heard from DJ on this. What, what, what's your main thoughts? I mean, like, would you consider it to be, like, with a book, would you consider, like, being able to make that, like, kind of, like, internal inputs versus the external inputs on the controller... Would you consider it to be integral to the process, or is it would it be peripheral? I think the inputs and all that are very integral to a video game. That's what makes the video game the video game. I mean, the interactivity and being able to have your own gameplay experience, that kind of, it makes, it kind of makes books not as interesting, I guess. But there are things about books that, I don't know, it's really hard to articulate, like uh, Demon Lord said earlier, but there are things that are similar experiences about books and video games. Like, I get a similar sense of accomplishment from finishing a book as I do with finishing a game. I'll say that. But as far as the books themselves, 
being a similar experience to games, not for me. No. Just, just because with the book, you know you're, what you're going to read. When man, I know what the book is about, but once you re- read it, it's a book. With the game, everyone has their own experience. No one plays the same way, and that's going to come to a different experience for the same game with different people. I can double advocate that a little bit because a lot of times, like, you know, especially growing up, there are a lot of series that I read. Mm-hmm. And even though, like, you can pretty much, like, you see the manuscripts, so you read it from beginning to end, mm-hmm. but you still have everybody who takes something different from that novel. I agree with that. Um, like, a really good example is the novel IQ84 by uh, Haruki Murakami, um, which is a novel about parallel worlds and mm-hmm. about. You know, connecting with like you know the moons and like you know like farts and stomach noises. There we go. There's <laughs> our car hey, hey, back hey. on track. But yeah, I mean like it's like there are a lot of stuff that's designed to where everybody can take something different away from it. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, um, and and I think that goes also back to what Adam was trying to say with. You know, when you're reading a novel, like the inputs that you may be putting in are like what you take away from and what you change, but you still made those inputs and that therefore makes it integral to the experience, just like a video game. But then it's not an input since you're taking something from it. Yeah. It's that would be an extrapolation. Yeah. And that's how it it's not passive anymore. You're being part of the That's action not what I meant reading. by passive though. I mean I meant like there's no actual input to it. And the thing is, the novel will still be the same novel whether you, you got nothing over from and over it or again. It'll be the you got same. something from it. Uh, not necessarily. Again, you know, like with novels, I mean, like... not I haven't been reading the same shit you have then, so... <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it's like I said, you know, somebody, like, when I read stuff over and over again, like... I always, like, and, you know, it's always a deal of, like, you know, I take something different from it every single time. Even something like Back to the Future 3 novelization, which I used to read a shit ton of in high school, like, in elementary school. Three? Really? Really? Yeah. Huh. You know? Like, at first I read it for the the cheap jokes of, that's Nay And then, you know. (laughs) But every time that, like, you know, even stuff like... You know, the Dune series, Wheel of Time, you know, even something like, you know, James Joyce, Portrait of an Artist as a Young Man. Um, even something like Edgar Allan Poe's work, like, you know, you take something different out of it every time that you read it. Mm. You may be reading technically the same words every time, but there's always, a, you come out of it, like, differently. It's kind of like watching a movie over again and seeing something you missed the first time. Mm-hmm. Right. That I can get behind, since it does it's change visual. your experience yeah. of it. And it's visual. Well, no, uh, going back to the novel thing, if you understand something differently because you've had it spoiled or explained or you've discussed it or something piqued your interest so you bring it up to discuss with someone and you go back and look at it, then your experience has changed. Right. It's just in the creation of novels and the creation of games... There's a lot more give and take to it. Because, yeah, someone may hand you a crappily written rough draft and go, Ah, what did you think was missing? Or, ha, what did you think the themes were? But whereas with uh, someone hands you a beta test, it's like, okay... What's broken, how can we fix it? Exactly. Not (laughs) only that, but what worked for you, what didn't. It's like, you know, I really hate platforming, so maybe downplay that and play up the... Fan service? And fix the graphics on level three. <laughs> and stop glitching a dong on that character's face. <laughs> and we've gotten back into normal Nevicast territory. Well, gaming. That's, that's what happens with manuscripts, too. Yeah. You get a manuscript, you, you read it, you give it to other people to read it, and then they give you feedback. And then you rewrite it, and then give it back. And then I'm so, well aware. Yeah, so it's the same thing. Yeah, there's an editing process that you have to go through. and But there's far more bells and whistles. You've got multiple levels of stimulus, whereas the book, you're just reading it. With games, you've got sound design, you've got art direction, you've got the story itself, if yeah. it actually has a story. Well, I mean, but also, too, with novels as well, as you have to remember is that, like, 
if you're crafting your words just right, you're you're able to use your words. You can evoke those multiple stimuli at once. But that's something the reader is doing for themselves. That's right. And that's also like the same way with the game. Because at the end of the day, with a game, you're also triggering those stimuli yourself. The game itself is triggering those stimuli. Everybody reacts to it differently, though. The same way I react differently to Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde than you would, for example, when you read it. Actually, didn't we have the same reaction on that one? Just go with the joke. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, My Hero Academia was awesome this week. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's like I said, you know, this is a really interesting topic, and, you know, um... Yeah, like I said, you know, if you guys, like, have any, like, words about that, you know, post it down below, you know, um, we'd be interested to hear your kind of feedback on it. I mean, because, like, especially, like, as we advance forward into a more digital age, you know, there's going to be more conflicts about old styles of, you know, enlightenment, entertainment versus new methods that use more digital means. It's the old argument of, you know, like, books versus like motion cinema and then you know get you know folk guitar versus electric guitar guitars versus keyboards that kind of stuff i mean it's kind of an argument that stands the test of time and one that like you know should be looked at more and more often especially in like the age of uh, now we're now starting to get really serious about you know making sure that we preserve works of art going forward that's right so. which is a very interesting point because now uh museums are becoming somewhat obsolete because everything is digital time mm-hmm. digitalized digital digitalized digitized, digitized. digitized. Yeah. digitized. <laughs> thank you so people are not going to museums anymore they're digimon they yeah. just <laughs> look it on the virtual library mm-hmm. yeah they check it out on the computer so i mean it's a lot easier to see something from the comfort of your own home versus you know actually going to an art museum like it's gotten to the point to where you know art museums used to charge you know x amount of dollars like to go in and visit Mm -hmm. now most of them have to charge most of them have to let you in for free and the only thing you get paid you have to pay for is to see like the The, traveling exhibits because it's gotten to the point to where you know like a lot of people just don't really bother to go anymore because it's Mm -hmm. just so much easier to check it out from the vicinity of your home yep yeah here here in dallas uh the Dallas Museum of Art's free, but you still got to pay for parking, and then they have like certain exhibits where you have to pay for. Yeah, the yeah. Um, pro collection of Asian art is also the same way. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's like I said, it's a really interesting subject to take in. Is you know, when you're looking at you know old styles of media versus new styles, um, and like I said, you know, something I think that like I said, if you guys have any like. Um, comments that you want to make on it you know feel free to you know it's a wonderful discuss this wonderful topic to discuss and now i'm once again blending words together <laughs> so you know like you know moving on from that um so like kind of like another like long form subject i want to talk about this is going to be more of in the general nerd category is that i came across a couple stories this week one was about uh ezra miller running around san diego comic-con dressed up as ed from full metal alchemist <laughs> The other one was, uh, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of her name, but Lupita Nyong. Uh, Yeah. She uh, actually did cosplay in a video series where she ran around dancing all the time, like D-Pity. Like, dressed up as a Pink Ranger one day and then Kylo Ren the next day. And it also kind of brings me to, like, something else that you haven't really seen up until recent years, which is, you know... When we think of our actors and actresses in Hollywood, we mainly think of them as being these larger-than-life, you know, ultra-stoic superstars that you only just see, you know, standing around looking pretty at award shows and at premieres. You see them on the big screen. If you're lucky, you might be able to interact with them, two shakes and a lamb's tail in real life, while you're in the bathroom trying to get their autograph. But... (laughs) You know, lately, especially with the advent of, like, geek and nerd culture becoming more mainstream, you're seeing Mm -hmm. more and more celebrities actually kind of, you know, getting in with, like, and interacting with fans a lot more and actually being more 
passionate about a lot of the geeky and nerdy things that they're into. Like, Ezra Miller is a known cosplayer. Like, you know, he likes to do cosplay, actually, every San Diego Comic-Con. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of like, it was really surprising about that. Hmm. You know, like, in past years, you know, you had, like, you know, Andrew Garfield, when he was doing a run, like, when he was back when he was doing his Amazing Spider-Man run, he actually went and showed up at a Spider-Man panel dressed up as himself, as Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And he went up, like, went and waited in the Q&A line and then pulled his mask off. <laughs> uh, what was it? Uh, That's awesome. Uh, Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston. Brian put Cranston. The Brian Cranston mask on. Yeah. yeah. walking okay. around. Everybody thought it was, it was just another guy, but he yeah. comes up on stage, pulls it off, and it's really him. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like... And yeah. there's always the, the Adam Savage ones, too, though. Yeah. He always does these, like, amazing freaking costumes. It, everybody knows it's him because it's so well done. Yeah. <laughs> did you see it when uh, Henry Cavill did it? I think it was last year. Nah. Did he didn't you... even put anything on. He just walked on the show floor. No one cared. <laughs> yeah. Because it's, Henry. Cause it's yeah, because he's Superman. Nobody yeah, no, no cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> like, eh, eh. Actually, like, remember, like, last year's uh, Star Wars Celebration, when they debuted, like, some of the footage from Force Awakens, they started talking about Rogue One. Um, They had, uh, like, both um, John Boyega and uh, Daisy Ridley Ridley wandering around the show floor, just like, la, 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 la. Now they can't go anywhere. Well, like, they actually reenacted their own trailer in front of all the fans. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nice. That's awesome. So, and also, uh, what was it that nearly had to be closed down because one of the musical guests wanted to go to the dealer? Oh, okay. So, yeah, this, is, about that. this is an Akon story. So, uh, about a couple or so years back in Akon, they had the band Exist Trace come down. Uh, mainly because one of the members, what used to be, was she was actually an exchange student that lived in Dallas for a little while before she went back to Japan for help for the band all nice little jazz. Mm. I think that kind of played into them actually coming down here. But yeah, apparently one of the band members decided, Hey, I want to go check out the dealer's room. It should be pretty easy for me to go check out the dealer's room. Right? Uh, yeah, not quite so much. Cause like very quickly they were able to, folks were able to identify her. So they started bum rushing into the dealer's room. And that also happened to be the time when the fire marshal was there, and they were just like, nope, everybody out. So they actually had to clear out the dealer's room for, like, most of that Saturday. And that's what happens when people underestimate fanaticism. <laughs> yep, that is very true. Or people underestimate their own celebrity. Yeah. 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 That also very true. Uh, that sometimes that does happen with a lot of overseas acts that come over here. They're just like, wait, I'm really that popular around here? What the hell? Well, you're at an anime convention and you're an anime musician. Yeah. Well, not even that. Exist Trace didn't even, like, contribute, like, any... They haven't done any, like, anime uh, soundtracks or anything like that. Really? They're just... They were, like... They were pretty much, like, Akon's Visual K pickup for that year. Because <laughs> um, they started off as, like, a really hardcore uh, Screamo Visual K band. And then, you know, they kind of decreased that bit by bit to where now they're more of, like, a... They still keep some elements of the visuals among some of their members, but they're more uh, just straight-up rock sound now. But I will say incredibly fucking talented. Uh, Six solos and drum flips for days. (laughs) But, you know, I'm kind of, like, digressing past my point, you know? (laughs) But it is kind of interesting if you really think about it when you have all these, like, you know, you're so used to years and years of celebrities kind of, like, having that very solid wall put up and for good reason for a lot of celebrities. And now you have this newer generation of folks who have no problem, you know, getting right into the fandoms that they're kind of inspiring with their films and creative works. I think it also has to do with the medium itself, which is, you know, science fiction slash, slash anime slash comic books. Where fantasy, fantasy like all that kind of stuff. Where it's more permissible. And uh, to be uh, who you are, uh, you know, it's uh, it it's okay to to cosplay because that's acceptable in a convention. So you're part of the group when you're cosplaying. You know, example yeah. for example, after Miller, who's cosplaying. So he he's not 
the superstar anymore. He's another cosplayer. That is true. That is true. It's kind of what their way of kind of like being able to interact with their fellow peeps. You know, even though one of them just happens to be a super celebrity. That's so, right. Yeah. Um, unless you're Rihanna and your dress game is so strong that you can go to premieres secretly cosplaying as different characters from Pokemon movies the whole time. <laughs> she did that? She did that. I'm okay with that. Yes, I'm okay with that too. <laughs> <laughs> but That's yeah, like... Uh, yeah. So, what anime did you guys watch this week? 18F. <laughs> so that's your uh, My Hero Academia? That's correct. <laughs> it's going to be like. It's going to be a weekly thing. I'm yes. going to bring up My Hero and he's going to talk about 18F. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, I actually, like, I didn't really have much of a. Like, you know, of course, like, I had a lot of IRL stuff to take care of, so I really didn't get a chance to dig Animu as much as I wanted to. Um. But yeah, like I think like the only thing I really caught was New Game, mm -hmm. uh, plus plus, and that's just because like that's my, that that's my joint, that's my show. Yeah, you what, know? my I got a lot of shows I, I watch every week though. Yeah, that's true of that. So out of those shows, I'm guessing My Hero Academia is number one, and then no, actually two. no, no? Really? Huh. Uh, My Hero is like uh, either second or third on that list. Okay, what's number one? Uh, I'm really liking this show called uh, Knights and Magic. Oh yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah. it's another shiny otaku tracksuit show. Yeah, it's one. Of the, <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those. I died and go to a different world and do Except this. Except with this fantasy world, it has you know mechs. Yep, it's all mech. So that, that's the our knights and dragons. Huh? No, uh, no, not, not so, no knights and magic. It, it, knights as in knights the from Camelot. Apostrophe S and Magic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there is one show I have been keeping up with, uh, like, um, that I actually caught up on this week. It's a Toby Saucy show, uh, Ultraman Geed. Yeah, I saw that you added that on the, the list. Yeah. Um, Crunchyroll and one of, like, they weren't able to get the Common Rider Super Sentai rights because it's just way too expensive to handle, but they were able to get the Ultraman rights. So they've been actually, like, over the last, like, year or so, they've been adding a lot of the older Ultraman shows, and they're actually able to premiere, like, all the new ones same time as Japan, which is kind of a breakthrough because anime has come a long way when it comes to streaming and legitimacy with streaming sites. Where it's, like, but, uh, the, like a few minutes or even, like, an hour or so after it airs, it's yeah. already on a streaming but, service. But Tokusatsu shows have, like, are still kind of on that fringe underground. Mm hmm where a lot of times the only way you can get a hold of it is you have to kind of like sail the seven seas. Yeah. Although with fan to subs, and with stuff. fan subs and stuff, but I, I mean, Toei is nice enough to where as long as nobody goes off and tries to buy official rights, they don't mind the fan subbers because those fan subbers help impress international groups. Those international groups go off and spend a shit ton of money on the toys. Yep. Um, just as much as like Japanese kids do. Yeah, just like in your room where you have all the, the uh, fucking uh, uh Rider belts and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> they spread the band and uh, brand new nationally too, right? Yeah, just a little bit Gets, of extra exposure. It brings in more interest on on to the stuff. Even yeah, it's, you know, not the best way to do that, but it still it still does it a little. It's like little. it's like HBO's stance on people torn in Game of Thrones. They yeah. don't really mind because it's. Putting it out there, more people that that see it that way, the more people will talk about it, right, yeah. and people will buy the HBO subscription. Yeah, because that's the main. That was the main impetus behind them finally doing HBO Go, was the fact that like they were using <laughs> the fact that so many people were tormenting, tormenting, <laughs> tormenting Game of Thrones to where they finally had to be like go up to the cable companies and say, look. Like, we gotta do it on a streaming sub model. Sorry. And it has I to be done. Really think you might have that reverse. Game of Thrones tends to torment its audience, not the other <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm to say. That's what really tends to happen more than anything else, you know? Hey, you like that character? No, they're, they're gone. Yep. Yeah. Sorry, folks. So, yeah, like, you have all this, uh. 
I don't know, two of my favorite characters are still alive, so I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, <laughs> you've just jinxed them. The sword of Damocles hangs hot, hangs large over their heads. Yep, it's and hard. they have you to thank. In the liner notes, it will say, "Thanks, Rum. We enjoyed living, Dick." Yeah, that series is a bit heavy-handed. What was that? K? Like it had literal swords of Damocles in it. Was, I'm not surprised. Yeah, like it was a, they were giant swords. Like each per, each one was run by was like a gang member or something. Hmm. And the weaker they got, the worse the sword broke down or something. I think once the sword hmm. broke, they died or something. Hmm. I haven't watched it in a couple of years. It was not a bad what, series. What was it? It's called. I think it was just called K. K. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. But yeah, like um, yeah, going back to like Ultraman. I mean. This one kind of has an interesting twist to it in that the main protagonist of the show is actually the son of pretty much the most major modern antagonist that Ultraman has had. Um, Ultraman had kind of been laying low for a long time because it just hasn't maintained the popularity that Kamen Rider and Super Sentai have. But in recent like years, like in the 2000s, they made a major relaunch with Ultraman Zero. And his main antagonist enemy was Belial, which was the first dark ultra warrior. So it's kind of interesting that they've come like... And the other thing about Ultraman too is that it's not like... It's always still part of an overarching story. So you can watch individual seasons and then you can like... There's still like an overall narrative that connects everything together. Uh, unlike, you know, like which a lot of Super Sentai and Kamen Rider tends to be their own self-contained type stuff, kind of like Final Fantasy games. <laughs> so, yeah. Too, too bad your uh, Toku friend isn't here to discuss more. Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> one of the things we will be kind of working on here in the future for Nevi Devil is we will be kind of adding a Toku podcast to our uh, lineup as well. So, look forward to that. Um, <laughs> or else. Or else. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, we'll like, all henshin on you. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, like, yeah, if you guys get a chance, Ultraman Geek, awesome stuff. You should watch it. It's up on Crunchyroll. So, Henshin yeah. and Go-Go, baby. <laughs> I have a question, because I know very little about Toku. Toku Sasa. Yes. Um, which came first, Jet Jaguar or Ultraman? Or are they the same character or something? Or? No, uh, Jet Jaguar, I mean, like, uh, Subaru Productions also handled a lot of Godzilla for a long time. Mm-hmm. Which is why they kind of got away with the Jet Jaguar thing. Yeah. But Ultraman actually came first. Really? Okay. Um, Ultraman actually started, like, the whole Ultra series in general started back in the 50s with Ultra Q. The 50s, really? Yeah. And then Ultraman was, like, late 50s, early 60s. I mean, I remember the Super Nintendo game. That was shitty. But. Yeah, the the superhero uh, genre of uh, has been huge in Japan since, like, the. It's been going on a lot longer than it has here in the States. I didn't know if, like, this is the 50s, that's... Yeah, wow. like the whole boom, how, uh... Yeah. How we're, we're living in, like, the era of all superheroes right now. Mm. Well, they've been, they've in, been in there. They've been in that era for a long time. A long time. Yeah, because, yeah, like, yeah, Ultraman was, like, one of the first big toku heroes, and then it was... And then in the 70s, it started off with a Super Sentai, and then Kamen Rider was a few years later after that. Um... Super Sentai has been the most consistent. Um, Kamen Rider has had to take a few breaks here and there. Like they took a large break throughout a lot of the, um, throughout a lot of the nineties, and they made, until they made their big comeback with uh, Kuga. They had one American show, right? The, there was the <laughs> there was two Americanized <laughs> two Americanized adaptations. There was saban's effort which they took common rider black rx and they made that into mass rider okay that's what i remember what that that's the one that you remember because that mm. one was absolutely horrible yes, yes it was and then there was the slightly better adaptation of one of the heisei series uh common rider ryuki mm. which we know here as common rider dragon knight i don't think i saw that one Sounds yeah cool. that's the whole point nobody saw it that's why i never did it. <laughs> he did it well so, um, since he was a dragon knight, was he dragonborn and therefore did a lot of shouting? Foose. Oh. <laughs> and that's our Skyrim joke for this week. Yay. At least it wasn't the arrow in the True that. True that. But, yeah, like, um, 
Yeah, like, the problem with, uh, like, Sentai is a lot easier to adapt into Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. Kamen Rider, not so much. Yeah. Uh, It'll turn into a, another uh, VR Troopers if so, they try to do something like <laughs> when that. When was that horrible, what Japan did to Spider-Man? What, when did that fall <laughs> into the timeline? That was actually, that was the precursor. That was what actually gave birth to Super Sentai. Was uh, when Toei did the Japanese Spider-Man adaptation. It was so successful in Japan that it actually convinced Toei to come up with Super Sentai. I don't think I've ever seen that. It, it's bad. They, they make him a fucking mecha pilot. Yeah. Yes. He is yeah, not he has a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He has a car that he yeah, drives yeah. around. And Spider car in American comics. Well, but yeah, it's even more pronounced so. And it transforms into a giant robot. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, but yeah, like it, it, it becomes a part of his uh, giant mecha, the Leopard on, um, which he uses to fight giant kaiju with. Okay. Yeah. It's one of those, like, it's, like, to me, like, because I'm a Toku fan, it's in the it's so bad, it's good category. It's like the, uh, what is it, the, uh, uh Turkish Superman? Kind of, yeah. Just, <laughs> just really silly stuff like that. It's so and stupid. And to me, someone who's super into Spider-Man, it is like having your genitals operated on without anesthesia. <laughs> well, I mean, there is an American kaiju uh, character in the Avengers comics now. Like, there's oh, yeah? an American soldier that they turn into a giant kaiju. Instead of Hulk and I, he just turns into Godzilla, basically, with an American <laughs> flag on his face. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> Does he breathe stars and stripes? I know he breathes bullshit. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> opens his mouth in a stream of bullshit? Hey, it's like Trump. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's Trump. Kind of. <laughs> no, or does he just breathe out Cheetos? Cheetos? <laughs> <laughs> Oompa Loompas. Yeah. Spray can. But, yeah, like, I mean, Tokusatsu is a really interesting genre. I mean, like, the main pillars right now are Kamen Rider, Super Sentai, Ultraman, and for the really adult edgelords, Garo. Which actually ties into Final Fantasy XIV because there was a Garo event. There was? Yep. Like, you know everybody running around with the title of Makai this, Makai yeah. that? Garo. Really? I thought that was uh, part of the Asian Sauce expansion. Nope, nope. That actually came out before Stormblood. Well, damn. I missed it. It was one of those you had to do PvP to get the, uh, the gear and armor. So, yeah. Damn. I wanted to be a Makai Paladin. Yeah. <laughs> like Slash Makai Dark Knight. Makai Dark Knight. <laughs> Would Guyver fit in there in any kind of way? Or? Well, Guyver actually started off as a manga, got adapted into two different animated series. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there was, yeah, the Guyver does count as Tokusatsu because, you know, they made the two live-action movies. Right. Um, With one of them being, having a... Jim Walker in it. Mark Hamill. Yeah, Jim Walker's in it, too. Really? Uh, he, yeah, he's... And, yeah, he said down about it. So, uh, <laughs> we are just lip. kind of floundering a bit, so maybe I should throw some salt on this podcast and see everyone next week. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, lordy. <laughs> Watch it curl up and come back next week. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and do other things that are internet-y. I don't know. Uh, this is kind of your... Yeah, watch more anime. <laughs> lordy. <laughs> but, yeah, as, uh... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, Voltron comes out next Friday. The nice. new season. And if you loved me, you'd form Voltron. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Oh, I'm so going to form Voltron on you tonight, baby. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first couple episodes of the reboot episode, no, no, no. they're gets... like super high-pressure boyfriend and or girlfriend. It's like, form Voltron. Why don't you form Voltron? Please form Voltron for me. If you loved me, you'd form Voltron. So, I, I started re-watching the series recently. And I'm on episode seven. They're still saying we need to form Voltron. Let's do for, let's form Voltron. <laughs> they need to go form Voltron. Yeah, it's it's like the cutback drop turn of Voltron. Voltron. <laughs> or, huh? Performing, you know, making the title character appear is something that they're pushing. It's amazing that it takes them that long. But they have to put the word "form" in front of it every time. They can't just say, "Hey, let's." Well, it's you're just waiting for season four, which is literally going to be called Forms Voltron. Three? Three. Four? Three? Three. Uh, because they're about... One. <laughs> Yay! Seriously, though, do we have any uh, further business that we'd like to discuss for our fellow followers? 
Uh, no, at this point, I think it is a good time to wrap up for this week. Um, as always, gang, um, we have content going on throughout a lot of the week on our wonderful website. Uh, you can also find us on the uh, Navy Devil group on YouTube. Uh, Click our stuff. Let, let's plays and all that nice little jazz. <laughs> um, as always, I'm apparently stuff. <laughs> yes, you're gonna have one right um, over your face. Good. <laughs> you know, we got an interesting uh, thoughtful Thursday coming up that's actually dealing with a video game movie this week. Uh, Dragon Age: Dawn of the Seeker. Uh, I hope you guys look forward to that discussion. Yeah. And uh, pretty soon, you know, uh, I will start dropping back in with Let's Plays again once I fully heal up and ready to go. Kind of sprained my wrist uh, earlier this month, so that's why you haven't been punching seeing me. fools. Yeah. I was too busy punching fools in main scenario quest on uh, Final Fantasy, so I'm as a conjurer. As a conjurer, so I've been having to take a break. Did you use Um, future or justice to do that? No, I just neither. (laughs) But yeah, we um, need to come up with nicknames for each of our forearms, guys. This is the important shit here. True that. True that. I've already got mine covered. (laughs) Actually, they are quite uncovered. I generally don't wear long sleeves. So, yeah, next week, look forward to us forming Voltron. Yay! And, you know, as always, on behalf of, you know... Everybody. Everyone? Yes. The Nevidevil group as a whole... Yes. People, Rom. Yeah. (laughs) As always, folks, this is your boy, Fearless Willie Nwanda, telling you good night and good luck. Jana! Later!